In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. My dad was charming, funny. Uh, I guess the ladies thought he was kind of cute, uh, but he was narcissistic, selfish, and did not know how to resolve conflict. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Jim Ramos, and I am here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing most excellent. So, hey, guys, I want to warn you. Well, I'm glad to hear that in your Hawaii <laughs> shirt. What, are you in Hawaii or something? Oh, maybe. I'm in my office with the deer behind my head here. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're such a big hunter. So, hey, guys, want to let you yes, know Dale I, uh... and I are over here. Uh, yeah, we're over here in <laughs> Hawaii on the island of Lanai with a... My son's over here, and uh, we're uh, doing a little work-slash-axis uh, deer hunting trip. And my son Darby turned 25, and when he said, he said, hey, Dad, I want to go shoot an axis deer, you know, because he's in a, a quarter-life crisis. And so, anyway, you know, it's funny, Dale. None of my kids had a quarter-life crisis because they all graduated college, and they're all, two of the three already own homes by 27 years old, so... Uh, you don't have a crisis when you're not milking off mommy and daddy's uh, cell phone bill. So you just uh, create your own crisis. You know what I'm saying? So we're over here. Uh, hopefully we'll have a, a great access deer hunt and fill some coolers with several deer and uh, working and hanging out. And Dale, I invited you to come and hang out and put you in the master suite. So you're the VIP, baby. Yeah, I just appreciate the multiple shower heads in there. Uh, it's pretty nice. Yeah. You have multiple shower heads in your shower? Yeah, I just and you have a hot tub bath. Just... You have a hot tub. Yeah, I have a hot tub toilet you too, hot... baby. That thing's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You... He came, Jim. He came running out screaming, "The toilet, the toilet! It it lights it up changed... when I walk in the room." And I'm like, <laughs> it cha- "It'll change hey, your life." I... <laughs> so does the lid lift up by itself? Yeah, and it does a pre rinse, and then and then uh-huh, it's yeah. warm, and you sit on it, and then when you're done, there's a little like take care of things. Yeah, I, oh, I was at a hotel in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and they had one of those royal toilets. It, it was life-changing. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to convince my wife that we need to make some changes at home. Oh, man. Well, I can honestly say, Dale, it's the only thing that lights up in the room when you walk in. So, Ow. I'm just kidding. I'm, you, you know, I would sing that. Well, who sang that song? Debbie Boone, You Light Up My Life? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I was singing. Oh, hey, what, hey, man, I got to tell you. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Okay, well, hey, I just uh, want to talk about our guest. I'm really excited to get him on the show. Uh, he is currently the president of NCMM, which stands for National Coalition of Ministries to Men. I serve with him on the board of directors for that organization. It is the largest coalition of men's ministries in the world with over 130 churches and men's ministry organizations involved. And guys, if you're listening to this today, and I know some of you are because one of you had one of our guests on your podcast after you listened to her on our podcast. And so uh, if you're listening to this show and you're a men's ministry leader, a church leader, head on over to ncmm.org. Uh, we got some cool things going on right now. We just started a speakers bureau where we will, if you're qualified, 
We will promote your speaking abilities uh, on our website, and we're getting ready to launch in a, several months here a men's ministry certification. So if you are a guy who does not have an extended uh, degree, a secondary degree, we want to help you uh, put a couple of letters at the end of your name, man. So make sure you head on over to the site over there and you, uh, we'll help you collaborate with other men's ministry organizations and you can get involved with a bi-monthly Zoom call, uh, equipping call with some of the top men's ministry leaders in the country. And so uh, he leads that organization, so I'm excited to get him on. But Dale, before we do that, do you have a man word for us today? I do, Jim. It is appreciation. And I don't think I've used oh, that Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. say it out loud so everybody can hear it. I appreciate you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Keep no, going. Keep just, going. You know what? I, I well, that, that's guys... easy to do when he takes you to Hawaii and gives you the master suite. Uh, it's really, I, I would know. appreciate Jim, too. <laughs> well, for the record, he didn't take me. I was flying That's by true. myself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think a lot of us uh, we we complain about what we have, and I think it's all relative. Uh, I think if uh, you were to live in a third world country and then you were transplanted to where you are right now, you'd really appreciate what you have. Um, and I think a lot of times we don't do that. Occasionally, I will sit around my house and I'm like, man. I only have one and a half bath, but man, I have one and a half bath. Thank you, Jesus, you know, type of thing. Uh, there's a lot of things we all wish we had or, you know, whatever. But I think when you start dwelling on those things or looking at what other people have, you start losing appreciation. And, uh, you know, you look around, if you, you have your kids next to you, I mean, and your wife, uh, life is good. The others is just, it's just stuff. It's minutia. So yeah. that's what I wanted to say. Well, uh, I would direct guys to our podcast uh, from a couple months ago called You Are Soft. And if you are a, a Westerner, you are soft. You are soft. You are weak. And, uh, man, we just suck it up. We are experiencing life like the kings did back in the old days. And so mm -hmm. for us to complain about, you know, 71 degrees in our house versus 68, you know, this is crazy soft <laughs> stuff. So, man, we just need to get over it and we need to uh, live in a tent for a couple of years and, and uh, kind of get some calluses on our hands. Anyway, so hey, I want to give you a hero story today, Dale. I know that you usually do the hero story, but this is one I want to read. And this came in. I thought this is really cool. I just got a text from a guy in the Northwest. He said, just spent almost two hours on the phone with my dad. He read Guts and Man, your book Guts and Manhood, which guys is a free online book that we offered for a couple months and it's not available in paper copy. Because of this, he started going back to church. He got connected with some guys in the area and joined a small group. He says he has a lot of work to do and apologized for me for the decisions he's made in his life and wants his kids to know how much he loves them. Your book really spoke to him. That is powerful, powerful stuff. It speaks to this broken father-son relationship. And this dad had, you know, kind of obviously did whatever he did and, and he came, he's coming back and uh, God used uh, one of our books to bring him back. And that's super, super cool. And so I just wanted to share that story. That's a real victory story for us. Dale, do you have anything to say about that? No, that's pretty cool stuff. I really enjoyed my conversation with my dad. Dude, you, what are you doing? You're not supposed to say it online. <laughs> whatever. If your dad, what if your dad's listening? Anyway, okay, that's cool. I'll, whatever. It's that's yeah. That is really cool to see that happening. God working your dad's life. And so, who would have known that he would pick up one of our books and. And uh, it would impact him so deeply. So you just never know what God is going to do. So, hey, guys, I want to bring on our guest today, Jim Whitmore. As I shared with you, he is a, a friend. He's a president of NCMM for 23 years. He's worked at Family Life. He currently serves as the event producer for Family Life events like Love Like You Mean It, Marriage Cruise, Family Life Donor Events, Blended and Blessed, uh, and the Summit Step Families live stream. Jim currently serves as president of NCMM, National Coalition of Ministries are men, and he leads men's ministries in his church. He's also a scout leader. He's passionate about reaching young men and helping them experience God in real, personal, and practical ways. So I'm excited to bring my friend Jim Whitmer on. Jim, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, Jim, but I'm really jealous. I I, I thought I was going to get invited to the studio, but no, you send me a stinking link to join you. It's not right. Yeah, but hey... But but hey, man, you're you get to you get to come here live from Arkansas. <laughs> yes, exactly from 
from the hills of Arkansas. Oh, buddy. Well, you know, I, as I told you, we can have our board retreats here anytime we want. So if we are willing to throw a few sleeping bags on the floor, uh, we can bring our board over here anytime. So that's that's out there. I have, so I know I, yeah. I have frequent flyer miles and a hammock. I'm good to go. Hey, me too, man. I don't even need a bed. The hammock is the way to go because you know why? We're soft and we need to learn how to get tough. And so no better way than sleeping outside in a tropical paradise in a hammock. <laughs> so, so, Jim, I got to ask you a couple questions here, man. Are you ready to rock and roll this morning? Yeah, let's do this thing. Hey, so so let me ask you this question. Let's give some guys a backstory. Why don't you uh, give us a, your story, a little bit about yourself, so our guys can know more about you and what makes you tick. Um, that's a pretty deep question. Uh, it's, I'm 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 in men's ministry, and I have no idea how I got here. Uh, it's not the path that I had originally started. I found myself getting into men's ministry, or actually into ministry as a whole, through a divorce uh, when I was about 30 years old. Uh, the, the young lady I married when I was in the Navy told me we weren't going to, we needed to go separate paths. And it broke my heart because I was committed for a lifetime. Um, I did not want a marriage that ended in divorce. Uh I was a good husband. She said, you're a good guy. I just don't want to be married anymore. And I found myself face to face with, I'm turning into my dad. And what uh, that means is my dad was married 15 times. And Wait, wait, what? Whoa, 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 what? Yeah. What, how many? 15. 15 times. How does, it, how does that happen? I've never heard more than four. Um. <laughs> uh, my dad was charming, funny. Uh, I guess the ladies thought he was kind of cute, uh, but he was narcissistic, selfish, and did not know how to resolve conflict. When things got crazy, he would just walk away. And um, by then, I think most of the women were pretty glad to let him go. Uh, so it was 15 marriages to 13 wives. Three of them wow. came back for seconds. They all thought that they could change him. Uh, fortunately, I was the only son out of all of those marriages, and it was to the first wife. And so growing up, Whoa. it was just a revolving door of stepmoms. Any other do any sisters? No. No, I was, I was the only child. I, my mom eventually remarried, and um, I have a stepbrother and a stepsister. Wow, 15 times. How did that affect you, buddy? Uh, it was hard to find any kind of stability. Uh, you know, every time I, I grew up in Oklahoma with my mom, um, but when I'd go to Texas, it was there to, you know, oftentimes meet, meet the new wife. Uh, you, when I was younger, you would kind of make an emotional attachment to them, but as I started getting older, I just couldn't let myself grow close to him. Uh, you're you're wow. here. And you're going to be you're going to be gone. And then, honestly, when I got a little bit older, I tried to talk them out of it, but they wouldn't listen to me. Wow, I I just can't imagine uh, being a part of that. Did you move around a lot, or did you stay with your mom? I stayed with my mom. I tried to live with my dad a few times. Uh, you know, when you, when you're young, you, you often think the grass is greener on the other side. So I'd go stay with dad, and it would usually be yeah. fairly tragic because. Dad's lifestyle was a mess. Uh, he was an alcoholic. He spent a lot. I mean, his his day comprised mostly of just going from watering hole to watering hole. Um, you know, growing up, I, I I spent a lot of time in bars, eating bar hot dogs and playing asteroids uh, and things like that. Um, but it was interesting. Every time I went into a bar with my dad to hang out with all of his friends, uh, they all knew who I was. Um, my dad always sang my praises and they're like, Oh, you're Jimmy. Oh my God. Your dad talks about y'all. You're the, and so they knew all about me and uh, wow. out of all, out of all the failures. And I mean, my dad did most everything wrong, you know, um, including being sentenced to die in the electric chair in the state of Texas. Uh, Whoa, just, whoa, 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 stop. <laughs> you, you, you say things like, he was married 15 times. Like, uh, 
I bought a box of Girl Scout cookies. You know, it's like this is huge stuff. Guys, you need to really listen to this podcast today because we're going to take you on a journey that is just unbelievable. Because what Jim has done in response to his dad, I think a lot of you guys need to really investigate deeply because a lot of you guys have had deep hurts from your dad and you have broken relationships from your dad. And what Jim is about to share with you, I think will change your life. So you guys need to hang on and listen to what's going on next. Now, Jim, okay, stop this whole... <laughs> oh, he was just a, he was just a sentence to death electric chair. Uh, and I went and bought some groceries at the store. Can you, okay, explain this. Like, okay, your dad was in bars. You were raised in bars. How does your dad go from being a guy who's in bars to being sentenced to death in the electric chair? What happened there? Um, so when I was 11 years old, I, I was notified that my dad was in jail. Um, okay. And it, the, the, the story was that one of his girlfriends came to his apartment uh, because she was jealous and she came at him with a knife. And a security guard at the apartment complex shot her in the chest twice, killed her right there on the spot. Um, and then as the police did their investigation, they felt like there was enough evidence that my dad may have paid this guy to do this and that they set her up to, to do this. And so I, I had to sit through... Uh, sit through a trial. You know, when I wanted to go see my dad, I'd have to go to the Tarrant County Jail in Fort Worth at 12 years old and stand in line to go to the maximum security uh, floor of, of the jail. And uh, I would get to go in and spend 30 minutes talking to my dad through a little metal gate that was about this big. And it was really dark, it was really narrow, and there was like this one 40-watt light bulb that, that hung behind him. Uh, and uh, so the, the jury listened to the case, found that there was enough evidence, and it only took him 15 minutes to pronounce him guilty, and the, the sentence was death by the electric chair in the state of Texas. And this would have been back in like 1974, and Texas had a really good record of, of fulfilling those executions then. And so I was pretty sure I was going to lose my dad. Uh, by this time, I was probably about 14. And uh, I remember my grandmother took me. We went down to Huntsville, Texas, to death row. Not the place for a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid. Uh, and I remember walking through that big gate at the prison and going in. And it's like this institutional... Line, a green, a blue shade, aqua green or something, but the smell in there of sweat and urine, the, the sound of those big metal doors closing and the pins dropping. And I sat in there waiting for them to bring my dad out. And so they, they brought him out off of death row for visitation. And I really thought this was going to be the last time I saw him. Uh, his execution date was coming out. Uh, and he came out and, um, and I asked him, I was like, Dad, are, are they going to kill you? And uh, he said, no, they're, they're not saying, I'm, I'm going to walk. Nobody's ever walked off of death row in the state of Texas. You, you don't do that. They may move you to another wing, but you don't walk out the front gate as a free man. Wow. And, uh, and, I, as, and I just didn't believe it. Um, but he also wanted me to know a few things. Uh, he wanted me to know that I loved him or that he loved me. And how proud he was of me. Um, wow. In, in spite of all my dad's flaws, and we'll discuss more of those as we go on, it's the one thing he did right. Um, you know, Robert Lewis in, in his uh, program, Men's Fraternity, talks about father wounds. Most guys yeah. have never heard their dad tell them, son, I love you, or son, I'm yes. proud of you. And that leaves everlasting scars that impact them and their children for generations. And my dad, while he may have been a scoundrel and never did anything right, he did that right. And I don't know that I really appreciated it at the time. It was only fast forwarding years down the road that 
I found the power of that blessing that he gave me. And so we, uh, wow. we finished our day. He had, he had indicated, um, you know, he was in a spiritual place. I, I guess death row kind of does that to you. <laughs> he had explained yes, yes. A, 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 an experience that he had had and, uh, you know, left me with some parting words of, you know, make sure you know God, um, develop a relationship with him. And so I took that step back and, and, and we said goodbye. And I honestly thought it was going to be the last time I saw him. Two years later, his case was overturned on appeal. And he walked out of that prison and came so back Jim, into I, my life at, at age 16. Can I ask you a question real quick? So yeah, he, was basic, he, was, he was found guilty of hiring this guy to kill his girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Um, did he do? Did but, he do that? Or you know, those are questions you don't ask, Jim. I, I, yeah, I never I hear ask you. him. I, I, I never wanted to know. Here's yeah. here's what I know. Here's why the case was overturned: is they tried my dad first, and then they tried the security guard, and the security guard was found innocent for murder in self defense of a third person. So the, okay. so technically, okay. my dad was in prison for a murder that never happened because it was actually self-defense. So, um, Oh, you know, now I got you. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was a legitimate walk. Um, but honestly, knowing my dad, I never wanted to know the answer to the question, Jim, so I never asked him. Oh, Jim, I just, I just can't imagine uh, growing up in that environment, man. I mean, holy cow. So he's so 16 years old, he's released. For he, yeah. You're 16, and he's released from jail. So, what? How, yeah. how many marriages had he been involved with at, up to this point? I'm guessing that was probably the halfway point. And honestly, within 60 days of being released, he was married again. <laughs> well, that was what I was wondering. So he he had a spiritual experience in jail, but it really didn't change him from the outside. No, it 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 didn't. And you know. That's just one of the mysteries in life, Jim, is yeah. God used him many times to speak truth into my life um, and redirect me and focus me um, in, in spiritual ways. God used him, but his life had no fruit. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to going to heaven and finding out, is my dad there? Because part of him knew about God knew who he was, probably knew his character of God. When he would talk about God, he's like, yes, you get it. But he could just never get past the whole Jesus Christ church thing because he had been wounded by the church in the past. Um, oh. So, mysteries, dude. I tell you, I, I don't know if he's going to be there or not. I, it's one of those, I won't be surprised either way. Well, you know, it's interesting, Jim, because you, you made a comment earlier on that I just... I don't know, Dale, we've had 400 episodes of this podcast, and Jim made a comment that hit me, and it may be one of the most important comments we've ever heard on this show. And he said, my dad did a whole lot wrong, but he did this one thing right. And, and so I want to I go back to that, Jim, because you, I know a lot of uh, uh, children, uh, young men, young daughters, adult men and daughters who have wonderful fathers who loved Jesus, who worked hard, who stayed married to their wives. But these fathers had one fatal flaw, Jim. They, they never, and this happens all the time, they did not tell their kids they loved them and they were proud of them. And that one thing ruined these kids. And so, but your dad was a total train wreck, but it sounds like he got that one thing right. I, I, wonder, I mean, am I, am I hearing you correctly? That your dad never stopped affirming you, even though he was a disaster. Absolutely. Uh, once again, everywhere I went, people knew who I was. He not only affirmed me, but, I mean, I was like his hero. Um, but that, and that blessing is a biblical thing. I mean, when you think about it, the fathers of the Old Testament, that's what their sons wanted was the blessing. Give me the blessing. They would fight over it. I mean, honestly... We're still having wars in the Middle East over the whole idea of who got the blessing and who didn't. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely it's, right. It, well, you know, it's real. And so my father gave me that blessing 
in spite of all of his flaws. And man, they they were long. There was there was absolutely really nothing that I could look up to my dad and respect him for. Um, and looking back on it, he was the perfect dad for me. I mean, we were actually really good friends. We had amazing adventures together and traveled the world. And, and dad showed me the other side of life um, because he kind of lived on the other side of life. And so growing up, you know, I, words he would say is all men's feet are made of clay. You don't look at any one man different in an elevated position because they're no different. They put their pants on just like you do, and they will fail at life just like you will. Uh, th things like that. And, the, and so the life lessons that he gave me and the life experiences, while tragic, um, you know, not what I want for my boys, but for me, it made me who I am. Um a little salty around the edges with a tender heart, um, but a good dose of reality because I, I know what the real world looks like. So you ha so you grew up uh, only son. You had some stepsisters. You had a dad who was a, a train wreck and a family that was constantly shifting and dysfunctional. How in the midst of this did you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Um. You know, it was, honestly, it was right after my dad had told me, make sure you have a relationship with God, that uh, an English teacher knew my dad was in prison and started inviting me to come to church with him. Um, and this would have been in seventh grade. And uh, he encouraged me to read the book of Proverbs, read a chapter every day. And that was some of the best advice I had ever gotten. Interesting. And so I just... I read the book of Proverbs over and over and over and over again. And um, I guess I was still 14 uh, at church. Uh, they had an evangelist come in and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was convicted of my sin uh, and accepted uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Now, um, and I continued reading the Bible, uh, but I kind of went down my own path. Um, I I know I was saved, but I was not following Christ. That that wouldn't uh -huh. happen for that wouldn't happen for another ten years, bro. But even in the midst of that wandering, uh, I'd say my prayers at night. I, I'd have conversations with God, and and my my communication with God is so simple. Uh, it's like I'm talking to my dad or my best friend. I share my anger and my frustrations, um, and 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 I beg for forgiveness sometimes over and over again. Um, but it was through that. And then at 20, uh, well, at, at age 30, I found myself in a divorce and turning into just like my father. And once oh. again, God used this guy. So she told me we're getting a divorce. I'm like, fine. I, I know how to play this game. I've seen my dad do it a hundred times. I packed my stuff and I got out the door just like that. And I called my dad and he said, come on home. And uh, so I came down and he saw me losing weight. He saw me not sleeping. He saw me miserable. And Jim, get this. He said, son, you need to sit down and you need to read the book of Romans. And then you need to read the book of James. And he walked out the door. And I went, huh. So I picked up my Bible. And I read Romans, and there I was confronted with the standard of what it means to be a living and holy sacrifice and, and what that looks like. And then I moved to James, and I found out why bad things happen to good people. And that night, I surrendered my life to God fully and haven't looked back. And, 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 and I was like, you sent me to do whatever you I, – I mean, I'm thinking I'm going overseas – uh, you know, I'm, I'm a paramedic. I've got medical licenses. I'm going overseas. And uh, he took me on an incredible spiritual journey to learn about him. Uh, I couldn't find a church, so I listened to Christian radio. Christian radio for two years was my, was my church. And, 
I mean, you think of some of the greats that are on Christian radio. And, oh, yeah. And I would listen to this program called Family Life Today, and there was this guy by the name of Dennis Rainey. And he was telling me what it meant to be a godly husband and father. And I'm like, why hasn't anybody told me this before? Because I probably could have saved my first marriage. But I'm going to be much better. And and so I'm doing that. My, my stepsister is enjoying watching me run with God and said, hey, there's this book. I know you're trying to figure out God's will for your life. There's this book called Knowing God's Will, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. You should do yeah, it. Yeah, I read it. And Oh my gosh, I picked it up, and once again, uh, it became crystal clear that my job was to serve him, and that everything I had was his, and it, it was transformative, and then that kind of began my path for the last almost 25 years of being in ministry, and the crazy thing was, when family life, this marriage and family ministry, asked me to join them, I was like, you have no idea who I am. Why would you want a divorced guy, the son of a father married 15 times in ministry, in marriage ministry? Are you kidding? Besides that, I gave my life to God and, and I'm waiting for him to call me into ministry. And so I just kind of laughed yeah. it off. <laughs> and and uh, it was only later in my quiet time that God was like, do you not recognize what I'm doing? You're wanting to be in ministry? And I've opened the door to one of the largest, most successful, established ministries in the entire world, family life, in Campus Crusade for Christ, and you're going to say no to this? No, oh, that is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So did so I an Jim, did so... I answer that question, Jim? <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's awesome. So so I'm just blown away by a dad. So how does your dad die? Let's let's go there real quick. Tell me about your dad's uh, death. Yeah, it, it was actually kind of sudden. He uh, developed bladder cancer and uh, went in for very simple surgery to get that taken care of. Um, and he didn't come out of recovery. Uh, he oh. apparently, they, they put him in the hospital for his overnight. Uh, apparently that night he had a, a heart attack. And I got called the next day. It's like, hey, you need to come down. And and it was a really hard time because at the same time he's in the hospital about to die, my wife is at home in imminent delivery of our second son. And, and we kind of live out a long way outside of town. And for a week while he was in the hospital, she delivered. So I was back home there and then he died. And so now I'm torn between I need to be with my dad because in my world, you don't die alone, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I was the only one. So I had to be there with dad, but I've got this new baby at home and it is it a week from hell, Jim. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. So, so did you speak at your dad's funeral? Yeah. Okay. So that... <laughs> Yes, um, I did speak at my dad's funeral. Um, by that time, I'd been at Family Life for a while. Uh, uh -huh. Dennis, Ra Dennis Rady knew knew of my dad. He knew of my story. And um, my dad had some pretty specific wishes for his funeral. Um, he had songs that he had selected that he wanted played, uh, one of which was uh, to all the girls I've known before, you know, Willie Nelson. No, well, no. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. way. So, You're kidding me. That is awesome. That is no. so appropriate for you. <laughs> and there were three of them at the funeral. And and, oh. and, so, and so, but the other part was he wanted a hearse with a U-Haul attached to it. Because he had said, he had always said, one of the things you've never seen is a hearse with a U-Haul because you can't take it with you. And so Dennis came to the funeral and he saw the hearse and that kind of threw him off. And then he came inside and, you know, the first thing that happens in this funeral is to all the girls I've loved before. And one of my oh. best friends was, was sitting behind him and he's like, Dennis kind of set up and put his arms across and, and, and was, and, and, but as the service went along, um, it became pretty clear where we were going. And at that funeral, um, I actually reread a tribute uh, that I had written 
a couple years before to him. And, um, yeah, it, it was interesting to well honor, oh, to well, honor the life of this guy in a way that allowed me to share the gospel, the hope, the promise and, and such it, yeah, it was surreal. <laughs> so, so, so Jim, so that is hilarious. I mean, I, I hate to sound uh, sacrilegious or, or I hate to, denigrate your dad's funeral but how classic that he had a u-haul i mean he his funeral was a was a country music song but here's my question for you man so so your dad never heard you read the tribute to him no he did uh i read oh he did okay yeah yeah no and, and that was really cool because um well let me explain what what the tribute is all right. Um, yes, because this this honestly, let me say something to our listeners. So, guys, I, I got to tell you, I've kind of served this up on purpose. This is why I want you to listen to this podcast. No matter how bad your dad is, part of the way that you break away from the bad things or the 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 things that your dad has done that you think are dysfunctional or have wounded you is is through a tribute. I think this is very healing, and what Jim is sharing is real guts and glory, uh, just stuff. And I think this is worth listening to. This is very, very powerful. So, uh, Jim, share about the time you read this tribute to your dad, and where did you get this idea? So I was working at Family Life, and Dennis Rainey, uh, president and founder of Family Life, had, had just written a book um, called The Tribute. And The Tribute is based on... The fifth commandment that says, honor your father and your mother. It's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. But how do you honor a father who is not worthy of being honored according to God's word? Um, you know, because. And so. In the book, Dennis talks about this and gives all these examples of people who took the time to go through the self-reflection of putting themselves in the shoes of their parents to understand maybe why they were the kind of parent that they were. Um, and some tributes, some, and, and so what he, what he encouraged people to do is take that, write that down, put it into a document that you can share at an appropriate time to honor your parents. Well, some people, you know, when you've got Ward Cleaver as a father, that tribute is easy <laughs> to write. Come on, yeah. I mean, oh, Dad, you were there for every game with me and everything. It's like that one's easy. And then, and then you start getting into guys that was like, no, uh, you know, to the world, you were an awesome guy. You did the right thing. You had a job, you had a title, you know, you took really good care of us. We had family vacation. I had everything I wanted, but you never told me that you love me. Uh, and then for some people, honoring a parent is hard because there's been abuse there. Yeah. My dad yeah. beat the crap out of me. My dad abused me and you want me to honor him. God's word doesn't put a condition on that simple commandment of honor your father and your mother. Yes. And Dennis, Dennis wrote this book to just kind of help you understand the process of how to do that. And, you know, by this time, Dad and I had a pretty decent relationship, but our differences were starting to show. You know, as, mm -hmm. as I became a little bit more religious, that, that was a little offensive. As I, as I started calling him out on some stuff, that became a little offensive. Um, but at the same time, he loved me and he was proud of me. And I never, I never not knew that. Um, so I sat down to write this letter and it forced me to go back of how do you, how do you an honor a guy who lived a life of regret and failure and hurt people and broken marriages? And so what I did was I just kind of relived his story of what got my dad to that place. Um, do we have time for that bunny trail, Jim? Uh, yeah, go for it. We have about 30 minutes. Oh, geez. Okay. So my dad was born to a judge in Fort Worth, Texas, a fine man, 
great reputation, former district attorney, married a Southern Belle. They were members of the country club. Uh, he'd been in the military, served as uh, on General Eisenhower's staff during World War II. Fine, outstanding man. And my dad was born a rebel. He and, he and my dad never saw eye to eye. They shipped him off to military school in seventh grade uh, to try to bring some, some character to him. You know, in hindsight, my dad was probably just ADD, HD, uh, and his yeah. parents didn't know how. He did not conform to society. So dad came home from uh, military school and went to high school there in Fort Worth, uh, started running with the wrong crowd. Back in the 1950s, started playing rock and roll music in a band. He was a drummer, um, joined the local union and was classified as a rock and roll drummer. Um, and in his senior year, uh, a band came to town uh, that he had actually had tickets to go see. And the drummer for that band got sick. And so they went to the local union and said, hey, do you, have, uh, do you have a drummer that we can borrow for the night? So they called my dad and said, hey, we need you to come play drums tonight at the Will Rogers Coliseum uh, for the band that's going to be there. And my dad is like, no way, because the band is Jerry Lee Lewis. And my dad, as a high school senior, has been invited to go play the drums for Jerry Lee Lewis in his hometown. And so he tells all of his high school friends, and, hey, yeah, right, whatever. And, and that night, sure as crap, he's there. Well, life goes on. Honestly, a few months later, Jerry called him and said, hey, my drummer's gone. I need you to, I need you to come join us in such and such city. And my dad went home to the judge and said, hey, I'm dropping out of school. Oh, wow. You can imagine how that went over. Um, there was yelling and screaming. My dad, uh, the judge told him, son, if you drop out of high school, it will kill me. My dad walked out the door, said, F you, went to school, dropped out, came back. The ambulance was in the driveway. Oh, no. You're, he had a heart attack over it. Had a heart attack and died. Oh, no. That messed my dad up. Um, so uh, that led him down a path of alcoholism. He went he went and played drums for Jerry Lee Lewis for a while, and then, you know, the whole Jerry Lee Lewis cousin thing happened. And so he came off the road, came back home. Uh, his mom didn't know what to do with him. Uh, everybody in society thought he was mentally ill. Uh, so they forcefully took him to a mental hospital over in Dallas, Texas. And he woke up 45 days later after 22 electroshock therapies. My dad had some deep wounds. Yeah, he did. He, oh, he man. Had, he had some mental illness. And so as, as I'm sitting back trying to figure out how do I honor my father, and I go back and I put myself in his shoes, and I start seeing him the way that Jesus sees him, he doesn't see a man who's failed. He sees a man who he's brokenhearted over, over, I'm sorry that this world has fallen and you've become a victim of the world. It doesn't justify, you know, we have to own our own stuff, but all of a sudden I saw him through a different light. And so I decided, wow. you know, I do need to do this. I, I need to, I need to go through this experience. So the book lays out how to write a tribute and kind of what you do. And so you, you spend the time, you write this thing out and then you print it up on some really nice paper and you put it in a really nice frame and you find a suitable time to give it to them, to read it to them publicly. And, uh, and that's what I chose to do. And wow. the time that I chose to do that was at my rehearsal dinner. Wow, the night he got married. The night, wow. Yeah. I cried. The br I barely, it brings I, back actually, a... I didn't make it to it. It was really embarrassing. 
it was it um but i i i've read that tribute to him and so jim so you're so you're reading this at your rehearsal dinner how does your dad respond and react um he wept he didn't know how to respond Nobody had ever said anything really nice about him. Come on, he was he was the black sheep of the family. Um, he was the guy that nobody wanted. So, Jim, when you wrote the letter, let's because I wrote a letter like this to my dad. I didn't call it a tribute letter; I called it a blessing letter. But it's yes. the same exact thing. It, it, same exactly. thing. Exactly, and and my da- my dad's turning eighty next year, and I think I'm going to do what you just suggested. I'm going to put that letter that I, he's already received it. I'm going to put it in a frame and I'm going to read it to him, publicly. No, yeah, uh, no, and, that's and here's the deal: is Dad hung that on his wall? It became his most cherished possession, and that night I also did one for my mom, and the same is true with her. When people would come over. They would point to it. I mean, it, it was like if you had gotten the stinking Medal of Honor from the president. Wow, that is so powerful. Okay, so Jim, your dad, we know his story. There's a whole lot that you could have written in there about the things he did wrong. But what did you do to write a tribute to him? What are the things that you included and said about him to basically give him a living eulogy? What did you do there? I focused on the things that he did right. Um, Which were? He showed me the world. Uh, He showed me the world through a different lens. Uh, He gave me experiences that I could never have. He told me how much he loved me and appreciated me. Um, Yeah, uh, I mean, let me read the letter to you. And I think it will become pretty apparent. I think it'll become, here's it, pray for me that I can get through this thing and that the message is clear. <laughs> um, how how, how long has your dad been it, gone? It's still emotional. Huh? How long my, has your dad well, been gone? Well, my son, yeah, so my son just turned 19, and so it's been 19 years. Okay. Nin, 19 years this month, as a matter of fact. Will you send this letter so we can include it in our show notes? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, go ahead. You can, Yeah, go ahead and read that letter. Dad, you never let me tell you how much I appreciate you or need you in my life. I guess it's your tough outer skin that hides one of the softest hearts I've ever known. So in the presence of my friends and family, I would like to take the time to honor you publicly and to thank you. I'm sort of very glad that I didn't have the typical father. I don't know what I would have become or be the man that I am. You were no Ward Cleaver, that's for sure. But I know that no father could love a son more than you did. Ever since I can remember, you've told me that you love me more than life itself. And I've never doubted that. So much of who I am is because of the experience you gave me. I took the best of your qualities and made them a part of who I am. And then I learned from your mistakes and there were plenty of them as well. You know, we don't always see eye to eye, but you have at least respected my values and beliefs, even when they clashed with yours. I can never express my gratitude for the experiences you've given me. You showed me the world through your eyes. Our trips around the world expanded my horizons You always wanted me to see the real and dark side of life, but more important, you wanted me to experience them. You've never sugarcoated or hidden the truth, and for that I'm eternally grateful. So many of my greatest gifts have come from you. You gave me the gift of speech, the ability to be comfortable in any environment, the confidence to look any man in the eye and consider him my equal. You even taught me to fear no one except God. You weren't the model dad, but you were my friend, and I always knew that I could tell you the truth about anything and that you loved me with all your heart. You gave me a liberal education and made me a student of life, and what a precious gift that is. 
I confess before my friends and family that you were the perfect father for me. You were my greatest fan, confidant, and supporter. You love me and always affirm me. Dad, I love you. I accept you for who you are. And thank you for always being there and giving me more than a last name. I will always be there for you. You see, the greatest wow. gift we can give is not gold, silver, pictures, or mementos. It's a blessing. And that's what I gave to Dad that night. Wow, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. So so the guys listening to this are wanting to know, okay, I want to write this letter. What should I include? What should I exclude? So what are some things that you did not include or did not go into detail in the letter? <laughs> um, the failures. I needed to focus on what he did right. I, I needed to find what those were. And, you know, I think most guys... They've got some experiences with their dad that they can draw from. I, I remember the time we did this. Um, you don't focus on the bad. I, nowhere in there did I focus on the bad, other than just kind of admitting, yeah, there were failures, but we all knew that. Um, you try to put yourself in their position. How did they get to there? If you've never heard your dad tell you that he loves you, it's probably because he never heard it. Yeah. He never heard it himself. He he had a father who was tough. So many guys never get that. Some of them get it as on, on their dying bed. But many of them, it's interesting how God works uh, in doing this and talking with other people who have. Simply the act of doing this softens a father's heart to the place that he recognizes, yeah. I need to return the favor. And isn't it funny how God works so many times? It's like, no, you need to take the first step and you need to take care of the bitterness that's in your heart or the regret or any of those other things. It's like in my relationship with my wife. It's always better when I'm the one who said after a conflict, I go back and I'm the first one to go, honey, I'm sorry, I did this. And she says, no, actually, I'm the one who's sorry you did this because I did this. And God honors that. It's it, it just God's economy is weird. Um, so, well, yeah, sit, sitting uh, down to take the time to focus on the positive, the things that he did do right, uh, you, it's not the place to bury the hatchet. Um, mm -hmm. And first and foremost, you got to pray first. God has to be the one to lead you to do this because this is not normal. For some of you guys, writing a tribute to your dad is going to be easy. And you just sit back and write those memories um, and the things, the wisdom that they shared, the things that you do, the things that you remember, the things that you hope to take from your dad and pass on to the next one, to your generation, your kids. But for others, you're going to have to dig deep. And only God can show you that because there's so many different types of dads and wounds that go deep. It's a process, uh, but God God uses it. So it sounds like uh, this tribute letter should be one page so that you can frame it, one page only. And so exclude some of the bad stuff. And then, you, you know, you have said over and over again, I want to go back to this. You said that your dad never stopped saying he loved you and he was proud of you. Would you say, I, and I'll say this publicly, I would rather have a, a guy respect me than like me. I would rather have my wife respect me than love me. I, I think respect is so important. And then when you, when, when your dad told you, I love you and I am proud of you, would you th say that those are probably the two greatest things a father can say to their kids? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, so, you know, I've, I've shared with you my dad's story. All the reasons yeah. why he should not be voted father of the year. Okay? <laughs> yeah, for totally. sure. But, you know what? I've got friends whose dads were much better men who lived a quality life, ran the good race, that failed as a father because they never passed that on. And so Gosh. my dad wasn't perfect. But my dad was perfect for me. I, my dad was awesome. He was a mess. Well, 
But he was awesome. <laughs> he was a he was a mess, but his mess became your message. You know, it's really interesting because I'm I'm sitting here listening to you, Jim, and I'm hearing a guy tell a story of a dad who, quite frankly, I've never heard a story like this before. But your dad did two things right. And maybe those are the only two things that, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not discounting fathering and I'm not saying, Hey, go be a crappy dad. I'm not giving license to men to sin or be stupid, but I'm just saying, if you're a dad, listen to this, you're going to make mistakes, but you can't make these two mistakes. You have to tell your kids, you love them till it's boring, till they're bored of hearing it. And you need to tell them you're proud of them at every opportunity. When you see a moment where you can express that to them we aren't participation trophy parents don't just start throwing proud around i'm proud of you for stuff he's being stupid about but if your son or daughter does things that deserve acclamation and praise give them acclamation give them praise tell them you're proud of them i think that's so i mean it sounds like your dad hit that out of the park he did and, and it's the one thing it's the one thing my dad did that i will model for my boys um and, wow. and, and, and I do, uh, every chance I get. And I honestly, there's not a month that goes by and, you know, Jim, sometimes in the midst of something, I just grab them by the cheek and look at them and say, son, I love you. And I am so proud of you. In spite of this stupid, in spite of this stupid thing you just did, you'll learn from it. And, and it has to be reinforced. And, and honestly, I yep. hope it's the legacy that, that my kids have. Of My dad loved Jesus. My dad called me to love Jesus. And he loved me and respected me and gave me his blessing. And I have everything I need. Wow. He gave you his blessing. And the blessing is I love you and I'm proud of you. You know, it's interesting, Jim. I, was, I just realized this sitting at this table just now. Uh, three years ago, sitting at this table... I read through the entire New Testament in a, in a week and a half. And while I was at this table going through the book of Matthew chapter 17, I read Matthew 17, 1 through 8, which is the transfiguration of Jesus. And in that time, I had an epiphany that's been life-changing for me. I read uh, something that the Father spoke over the Son. So this Father only speaks no audibly in the, three times in the New Testament. And, and once was at the baptism of Jesus, and once was at uh, the transfiguration. And both of those times, in Matthew 17, Jesus said, This is my son, who I love, and who I am well yes. pleased. In other words, he tells everybody yes. publicly, You are my son, you belong to me, you are my son, mine. You belong in this family. I love you, and I am proud of you. And it hit me that the Father spoke those three things over Jesus when he was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. But those are the three things we need to tell our children. You belong to me. I tell my kids this all the time, my granddaughters, my daughters-in-laws. You are my, you are Ramos. You're one of us. And I tell them I love them till it's boring. They've got to be bored with us telling them that. It's got to be like, oh, I know that. And then I tell them as often as they deserve it that I'm proud of them. And, and so I try to do that. In the midst of uh, my own personal failures, I'm not perfect, right? And I think that your dad, in the midst of it all, really set a model for those of us dads out there to say, hey, guys, in the midst of all of this, look what I did. I did these two things, and, and uh, it made a difference. My son, because of those two things and because of other factors, has become uh, the president of the largest coalition of men's ministries in the world. I mean, that's... I mean, I don't want to sound make it. I don't want to sound yeah, it bigger than it is crazy. or smaller than it is. It's but, crazy. You know, think about that for a second. And yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, your dad did those two things, and then you, I want to say, eulogized those two things. But you wrote a tribute of those two things and highlighted them. I think that's uh, a game changer. So, 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 how did writing this tribute letter or blessing letter, whatever you want to call it, how did writing this letter change you? and give you freedom from some of the bad things that your dad did. It brought closure to some things. Um, you know, once again, God used it to just remind me that we live in a fallen world. Yeah. Uh, 
we we all have excuses. We all have a story. There's something that led us to the thing that happened or the the choices that we made and that he's not done with us. You know, um, God doesn't see me in the midst of what I'm struggling with today. He sees me in my final state of who he's making me out to be. Yeah. More like Jesus. And it took a whole lot of pressure off. Um, it gave me empathy towards not only my father, but to others. When I start, you know, now I, I, when I see someone who's really messed up, I want to hear their story. What brought yeah. you here? Um, and, and then that promise of, of God's redemption. Um, but it also solidified in me the things that mattered. Because, you know, when I wrote that, I didn't have voice. And now I do. Oh. And, and now that idea of that father's blessing you know, once again, I tell them all the time, but when they when they turned 18, I gave them a public blessing. I did a similar type thing of a tribute to them with the blessing and then the charge and then the release. Because I can't control my boys the rest of their life. And at 18, there's a release that happens. That I go yes. from being their father, the authority in their life, so now I'm a mentor and coach, and that's the hardest position I've ever played as I'm seeing this live out with my 19 and 20-year-old boys. Um, but, yeah, that, that blessing of, of passing that down, um, and, and it's something that I hope just becomes part of the Whitmore family. Um, you know, I do remind my boys, you're a Whitmore, and this is the way wow. you do things. Well, because, so, so you... and, well, so here here's the crazy thing, Jim, is... I can then take that back to the Bible that my grandfather gave my dad that sits behind me with about 13 things of, son, this is what a man does. And those things are etched in my mind as well. And so that legacy continues on, but it took a really right-hand turn with my dad. Uh, and, and my sons have copies of, of those words that my grandfather wrote to him when he was about 13 or 14. Wow, the 13 things. That sounds like a book title to me. So <laughs> uh, no, no, no hints there, buddy. No innuendo. So, you know, it's really interesting. You said that to pass this down to your sons. But, but really, didn't it start with you passing it up to your father? Think about this for a second. We, we as men pass the blessing up because our dads need to know. You know, my dad's going to be 80 in a year. Our dads need to know, hey, you know what? Here's what I love about you. So we pass it up and we pass it down. So you just gave me an idea. I'm going to write a tribute letter for my son, and I'm going to read it at his, his wedding at the, at the end of July. And I think I'm going to do that for each of my sons. So, Jim, uh, for me, and, and, and that that played out, think of the closing scene of Saving Private Ryan. He's sitting there at the tombstone, tears in his eyes. Am I a good man? Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. And who better to tell you than the person who knows you better than anybody else? Your son. We all long to hear those words. Well done. Well done. And so, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I'm going to close on this. You know, as we just shot a video for one of my books, uh, and, and the, the video is called uh, out of the wine press. And basically in judges chapter six, Gideon, who was in the half tribe of Manasseh, who was basically the, he's the weakest, weakest tribe of the tribes of Israel. He's in the weakest clan. He's in the weakest family and he's the weakest in the family. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. So he's in this two foot circumference structure, threshing wheat, which is a very aggressive action. He's hiding. He's in fear. He's basically, he's a wimp, right? And God comes to him and says, greetings, O mighty warrior. 
And what hit me was that God does not see who we are. He sees where he wants to take us. He sees how we're originally designed. And to me, that's very, very powerful. And so, Jim, so you, you mentioned a book earlier, and I know that we're having some issues with that book. So you, you got this uh, tribute idea from a certain book. Can you give us the title and author again and, and let us know what the status is of that book? Yeah, so um, I went on Amazon to check. Uh, the tribute written by Dennis Rainey, uh, I think it's 1997. Um, there's only one copy, one new copy there, uh, but there seem to be four or five or more used ones. Dennis rewrote that book and re-released it. Um, and now it's called The Forgotten Commandment by Dennis Rainey. Uh, Amazon's got some of those. Um, I'm trying to track some copies down because the reality is I, I think many of your guys need to get this. Uh, just going yeah. through, you may not know how to do it, but I can assure you in this book are stories of people who had to do that. Like the, my father raped me and I could still honor him type. I mean, deep stuff. Um, the book will help you with that. Uh, I'm trying to find some stuff. Uh, I'll get you a link. We'll put it up there or just go Google it or Amazon. Uh, it's out there. Well, and Mark, Mark Batterson wrote a book called, I think it's called The Double Blessing. And then Gary Smalley wrote a book years ago that I read, and I think it is called The Blessing. And so these are all similar type books. So guys, I want you to uh, pick that up and, uh, and uh, get a hold of that. And if not, we're going to post this tribute letter that Jim wrote. Uh, on the show notes, so make sure you, if you do not, do not subscribe to our Equipping Blast, make sure you do that at meninthearena.org. And so, Jim, Jim thanks so much. Hold, yes. on, hold on, hold on. I want to challenge, guys. When you write that tribute, I want you to share it with Jim. Send it to him. That's really good. I appreciate that. And, guys, that is your action item for the this episode. So we're going to put our boots on the ground today, and the boots on the ground are this, man. Uh, and I've done this before with you guys. Write a tribute letter to your father. And if you've already done that, think about writing tribute letters to your children at certain points of life. When they're 18, on their wedding day, something like that. Something significant that you can affirm them. And so th make this a part of your life with these guys. This rite of passage, so to speak. So thanks so much, Jim, for coming on your show. We sure appreciate it. Uh, Dale, hey, well, Jim, how, how can they get a hold of you if at NCMM? What's the best way to get a hold of you? I think my email address is jim at ncmm.org. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Dale, take us home. Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to meninthearena.org and pick up a copy of Jim's newest book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. It's five essentials every man must possess to change his world. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle, get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.